Hello, and welcome to the Constructor Cast, your AGC place for all the news, views, and interviews relevant to your construction business. I'm your host, Leah Poconis. In the dynamic world of construction, prioritizing the well being and development of employees is a cornerstone for long term success. And that's where culture of care comes into play. It's a groundbreaking national initiative established in early 2020 by AGC of America. The culture of care commitment starts with a pledge, but it's so much more than that. It's a toolkit for companies looking to go beyond a check-the-box approach. It includes everything from sample workplace policies to toolbox talks, organizational assessments, and a whole wealth of resources designed to drive awareness and education, especially on job sites. It's been almost four years since the launch of this national program, and it's definitely worth noting that less than 3% of AGC's 27,000 member companies have taken the culture of care pledge. And that's why AGC has teamed up with FMI to support those who have yet to make that commitment. I'm thrilled to have Michelle Thompson, a consultant and facilitator with FMI, on the show today. Michelle has interviewed leaders across the country And together, AGC and FMI have crafted a series of articles for AGC's Constructor Magazine, exploring how construction firms successfully implement culture of care. I want to give Michelle a chance to say a bit about herself and her recent work with AGC. And then what I'm going to do is hand the reins over to Michelle, and she's going to lead a discussion with two construction firm professionals who will share their personal stories behind the pledge, the people, and the passion drive positive change in the construction industry. So welcome, Michelle. We're so glad to have you on the show with us. And I would like to have you share a little bit about your work with FMI and what motivated you to partner with AGC to help spread the word about the Culture of Care program. Thank you for having me here. Once again, my name is Michelle Thompson. I'm a consultant at FMI from the Leadership and Organizational Development Practice, I work with C-suite as well as middle-level managers, talking to them each and every day about how do we shift from tasks to being more about the people. So as I learned more about culture of care, how dare I not get involved with this and support you guys, especially as I travel across the country facilitating trainings with next generation leaders. And we always ask them to do a project around what it takes to build a great team. And time and time again, over the past few years, over hundreds and hundreds of team leaders we've worked with, we keep hearing diversity, inclusion, creating a safe place, belonging. That's what our next generation of leaders, as well as current leaders in construction, are looking for. So it just made sense for us to get involved and partner with you. Fantastic, Michelle. Thank you. I know you've spent so much time talking with professionals about this important topic, and I'm excited to hear your conversation with our guests on the show today. All right, let's get started. I want to dig into this topic about the making the commitment to culture of care. We want companies to move beyond just check the box. So we've brought in some industry thought leaders to help us do that with the construction executives, Bill Allerud and Stephanie Roldan. They're going to ensure that we take away from this some lessons learned as well as some best practice that can help us commit to culture of care. First, Stephanie Roldan. 
She is the Vice President Learning and Development at Rosedon Electric. She's also the Director of Rosedon's Respect for People and Continuous Improvement Culture, which she simplified to Lean Culture. She is also the co-host of Construction DEI Talks. Welcome to the show, Stephanie. Share a little bit about yourself. My name is Stephanie Roldan. I've been in the construction industry going on uh, 25 years. I started right out of high school. It's been an interesting journey because I'm actually an electrician by trade. And I've worked my way through my organization, you know, just taking advantage of the opportunities that were provided along the way. Awesome. Thank you. Excited to hear from you. And next we have Bill Allerud. He is the Executive Vice President at Columbia Construction in North Reading, Massachusetts. He is also the President of AGC Massachusetts. And I have a little quote as a surprise to him I learned as I interviewed one of his employees. This is what they shared about Bill. Bill is always looking to the side and behind to make sure that we are all crossing the finish line together. He is a great example of using his own privilege to help others. Welcome, Bill. Thanks, Michelle. I'm Bill Allerud, Executive Vice President of Columbia. I've been in the construction industry probably a little more than 30 years at this point. And as Michelle mentioned, I'm also on the board of directors chair of AGC Massachusetts. And the last four or five years, I've kind of moved away from the projects and I'm working primarily on developing people in our teams within our organizations. So what we're talking about today kind of hits me in the heart. I love that. And we want to start with the heart so our audiences connect with both of you beyond just your roles and your titles, but you as individuals. So I want to start with our first question. Just tell me about a time where you felt like you didn't belong. Stephanie, how about you kick us off with that? Yeah, so my my earliest memory of not belonging was when I tried out for my sixth grade basketball team and realized I had to play on a boys team because there wasn't a girls team. And so obviously going into construction, I realized that this is much more of a a male-dominated uh, industry. But what did strike me that I hadn't experienced was, you know, in the late 90s, the overtness of sexism and racism. Like I wasn't prepared for that. And I think probably my generation in terms of schooling was already heading towards a world that was built much more inclusively. And, and they were working on things like girls basketball teams and those kinds of things. I've had moments, and I think everyone does, where you end up in different environments and you realize, oh, I, I did belong. Oh, wait, a little bit different. So I think that's kind of actually a, a unifying thing for, for most of us is that we all have those moments where, depending on the environment that we're weaving through, we can all have those moments. Absolutely. We all have those moments. And it's interesting, yours started early in childhood, but kind of shaped um, the industry where you landed. So thanks for sharing that. Now, Bill, tell us about a time where you felt like you didn't belong. Going back probably early in my career, I was probably about three years into working as a structural engineer. And I could sense that the environment that I was in, I just did not belong. I just did not fit. And I wasn't quite sure what it was, but, you know, I could look at, you know, some of the leaders in the office and it was clear to me that I didn't want to be like that when I grew up. So it actually caused quite a course correction in my career. I left engineering, went back to school, got a business degree, and then found myself working in the construction industry. 
which is where I've been ever since. So it was actually very positive for me, a positive outcome. Thank you both for sharing that. And thanks, Bill, for that, because I feel like sometimes we think unless you're a woman or a person of color, then maybe you don't have a belong journey and you can't empathize or really find a place of passion for the work we do with culture of care. And I love what you shared, Bill, to help connect with our audience, to help people know that all of us at some point in life has a space and time where we felt like we didn't belong. And actually, there's studies that show if we improve that belonging in the culture and the workplace, we improve productivity and we lower the turnover rates, as we know is a big challenge in the construction industry. According to FMI's talent study in 2023, over the next five years, we're going to see turnover rates as high as almost 30% in the field, 22% among executives. And that's why this is such a great time, such a time as this now for us to talk about this important work. So thank you for sharing your responses. And I want to pause here and just share with our audience because we wanted to connect more with you guys. I want to connect as a host to my own journey to belonging. Since you don't see me, I am a person of color and female in the construction industry. So I resonate with this topic both on a personal level as well as professional in developing leaders and top talent. The other component I want to share to this is that we need to think about culture of care through the lens of not just how do I activate this in my organization. As we said earlier, we're not doing this for a check the box. Go on. We do want you to go on in the link in the show notes and download the pledge today and take the pledge. But we want you to take that next step, too. And that's living it out as both Stephanie and Bill have done in their organizations Let's talk about how do you empower others to embrace a culture of care? Our start to it was first an industry level commitment. So our CEO signed the pledge as the first visible symbol that this was the the path that was really aligned with where our organization was headed. Even in early like 2018, when we began focusing on talent diversity and understanding each other in the way that we think, feel and behave. And then ultimately what we began having was a job site. Uh, pledge drives. And so we would go out to the job site, we'd have individuals, we'd share what the commitment we'd made as an organization was, ask people if they also wanted to commit after they signed their name, we would then provide them uh, a culture of care sticker and a culture of care t-shirt. Ultimately, the reason we did that was to be a visual symbol on our job sites of individuals that were behaving in this way, supporting these actions, and that ultimately could be a, a, a partner or a safe space for you if you needed it. That's how we began championing uh, within our own organization to get our people just to join us along on the journey and then to find the place that they too also felt safer. And I want to go back and ask, you said you started at the top, but why? Why did your leaders decide to commit to culture of care? So as I mentioned, we started our DEI journey really in 2018 when we realized that there's more to our dimensions than just what people visually see of us, right? And so in crafting the empathy around how we can celebrate difference, we started really with our talents. And so when the culture of care came in 2020, we thought, hey, this really already aligns with where we're going, which is we already know that we need to commit to the best hiring practices. We already know that we need to attract the best in the business because we're a booming organization. And if we don't find a way to really be attractive, the the next generations aren't going to come to us. And truthfully, the people who live here already aren't going to want to stay here, which adds in that retention component, right? So we need to keep our hypos 
and we have to keep the people who have been serving this organization for a very long time. And then ultimately, then the last key piece to that is to empower our, our individuals to know that they can celebrate diversity and we're going to build an inclusive space. And that includes building safety within our job sites. So as a part of that, the other top-down initiative along with this that came out was that our stop work card was modified to not just care about the person's physical safety, but also about our, our emotional and psychological safety. And so it now says that we can stop work for hazing harassment or, or bullying. So there has to be a commitment from your organization when you're going to begin to say that we're going to stop business to do what's right for people. And so that's why we started at the top, because we had to have that commitment that people would feel like we were going to do what we said we were going to do. Yeah, so when we talk about that, that's what we know in our first article in this series is talk about starting at the top and how important that is and making sure that's aligned with your core values and the work that you're already doing. And I believe Columbia has done a great job of that and Bill, under your leadership as well, setting the stage for that and even what you've done. So if you could tell more about why culture of care, why did you guys take the pledge? And then even some examples of what you're doing to empower. Sure, Michelle. Thank you. Our journey also started, I want to say, about 2018, and it was about that time that some of our clients started to asking us as a construction manager more about our diversity and inclusion practices, and we would get an RFP that would ask for a diversity plan. And we didn't have a diversity plan. So we knew that we were missing something. So it caused us to create a diversity plan. And not long after that huge event, the murder of George Floyd, which really caused an about face. And about that time, I saw the culture of care on the AGC website, which caused me to make the pledge. And we got a small group of people here on board with completing the survey so we could get an assessment of the current state of DEI at Columbia. And uh, one of the things that we did that was really impactful is that shortly after the murder of George Floyd, we decided not to write one of those shallow statements that it seemed like every other corporation was writing and posting in the newspaper or the media. What we decided to do was that we had a town hall meeting and one of our interns, who was a female of color, volunteered to speak at this town hall. And she shared her own personal experiences of racism in high school and in college. And that was really an eye opener for all of us because racism is like right in front of us. And unless you have somebody pointed out to you where it is and what it looks like, you really don't understand that it's all around us and happening at the same time. So that really kickstarted our diversity journey. Out of that, a few things started to happen. We created the DEI committee. I was one of the advisors of that committee. And we had a monthly forum to talk about anything under the sun, but it you know, was mostly about diversity and inclusion. Good people to talk about things that were uncomfortable. We also recognized that there were things at our job site that had been there forever that just become commonplace. And a good example of that is graffiti. I mean, five, 10 years ago, any job site, you would find graffiti. It made us aware that this is not appropriate and it does not belong on our job sites. So we put together another task force at Columbia that created a zero tolerance policy 
um, on graffiti. And we put training together for our field staff to help them enforce this zero tolerance policy because we got feedback from our own staff that what happens if, you know, we see somebody or learn that somebody has written some offensive graffiti inside the porta potty? You know, how am I going to have this conversation with them? So we eliminated that roadblock by providing training on how to have the difficult conversation and provided that to the field staff. And then it just continued to grow. So how do you hold your employees accountable to what you guys are committed to? First, you got to bring clarity to what we're holding people accountable for. Make sure that they clearly understand it. And then it takes follow-up to make sure that they're progressing you know, in whatever task that is, and then clear away roadblocks, provide resources so that they can, you know, succeed in what we expect them to do. You know, so that's, you know, kind of accountability just generically here at Columbia. But we can apply that to just about any pocket of activity that we've got. Yeah, but your zero tolerance and the training you mentioned, those are definitely aspects of accountability as well and coaching people and how to have those courageous conversations, I call them, or crucial conversations after that book there. That's really important when we're holding individuals accountable. So now I'll go over to Stephanie. What are some different things your organization has found effective in holding employees accountable to culture care? I always like to say that you can't hold people accountable. They can decide to hold themselves accountable and they can decide to be responsible. But until you have responsible people, you can't really hold them accountable. And so what we did in 2020 was we developed a program called Emerging Leaders. And it really was focused and built around the Leader's Guide to Unconscious Bias. And inside of that, it teaches you how to like reframe your bias, cultivate connection, create high performing teams, because ultimately what you want to be able to do is have everyone belong within your organization and be on really great teams. Right. So nobody ever really leaves their company. They always leave their manager. And if you don't have great managers who are entrusted to help craft people's careers, you're really not going to get to where you want to go. But inside of that, some of the coursework is focused on dare to lead and vulnerability and how we shed our armor, particularly how we armor up sometimes in particular situations. And so we're teaching individuals how to, to break through that a little bit. We do fierce conversations and then we do unconscious bias training, which is focused on how are we seeing the world through our lenses. And so we really uh, use that language throughout the organization to help people realize that what they're doing is they're making a lot of decisions, largely and especially in the reason why they call it unconscious is because it's through your limbic system, which is you're trying to protect yourself. And so you just got to slow down a little bit to really get your your brain processing in, in that way. And that's why we spend almost a whole year in this program helping leaders see the world as others see it and then also see how they see the world, right? So that we can have those conversations and, and be really responsible around our own actions and our, our own behaviors. That's how we begin building accountability is first finding responsible individuals. 
Yeah, I love you share when you shared about holding yourself. It does start with the individual decision to hold yourself accountable first. And at FMI, we have the peak leader model. And one of the core behaviors is that we talk about leading within, but at the middle of the model is that worldview and how that influences all aspects of how you're showing up as a leader. So thanks for pointing that out there. And we've actually developed a course now called Unconscious Bias at FMI. And at the center of that is the inclusive leader worldview, acknowledging the fact that while we might have varied and many different worldviews across the board, when it comes to being a peak leader, we can't afford not to embrace an inclusive worldview mindset. So thanks for sharing that. How do you empower others to embrace a culture of care? One of the ways that we empower leaders on our job site, one, is the visuals around the t-shirts, right? So you know that if there is a person on the t-shirt or has a t-shirt on or they have the sticker on the hard hat, you can go speak to them. They're going to take action on your behalf, help you, whatever that looks like. The other thing, too, is that as this culture has grown, is that individuals will take it upon themselves um, to say, hey, this job doesn't feel right to me, right? Like, I, I know what behaviors we need to exhibit this doesn't align with where Rosenin has said that. And so we've had to have conversations with some of our general contractors to say, hey, we're getting a call out. And we're getting a sense from our organization that this isn't where we would agree that our people should be in this environment. And so we've actually deployed our trainers to provide unconscious bias training for an entire job site on our behalf for that job because it was necessary for us to reset the environment for our employees. So they know that they flag us, that we're going to find resources and we're going to deploy because uh, we are that serious about our commitment to the people that work here. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Stephanie. You both have shared great examples of what commitment could look like in our industry. And I just want to encourage listeners Find the way that works best for you that aligns with your core values and with the culture that you are striving to build. And as you do that, I want to close with this question, if we have time, um, for each of you to think about if someone's experienced pushback, maybe they want to commit to culture of care, but beyond the checkbox, they just don't know where to start. Or maybe they've received pushback from people who are like, we don't need to go that far. We've got so much other work to be focused on. How would you encourage that listener? I would say this, that the Culture of Claire Pledge is both organizational and it's independent. So if you want to commit to AGC and get the numbers moving and you want to commit to the industry, you absolutely can do it as one. The second part I would say is that there are plenty of resources out there that can help you become an inclusive leader. And when I say responsible people start creating accountable people, you can also challenge yourself around your own worldview and you can start and be an example to your organization as one. And when people get a great sense and you have an amazing team and they say, how are you doing it? Now's your opportunity because you can show them exactly how you're doing it because it does transform businesses when you are a, a strong leader and you are an inclusive leader and you're building the teams that are reaching their highest potential. One of the things that we've learned is that it's so important to meet people where they are and really understand the current state. And when we set out to create a strategic plan focused primarily on DEI, one of the first things we did is that we surveyed our entire Columbia community. We had probably 30 one-on-one -on -one interviews and a number of group sessions just to get a sense as to where we are. And then from that, I think that really helps us 
you know, bring people in because now we're creating goals within a strategic plan that are responding directly to what our people have told us, right? So they understand why we have the three goals that we have, you know? So I think it's really important to meet people where they are. And one class isn't going to cover a topic appropriately for everybody. I think you need to kind of custom design it for each and every person, so to speak. I love that. What each of you shared coincides with what I've learned through the interviews I've done with AGC. One of the first best practices was to start at the top. And as you shared, Stephanie, the top could be just you. You as an individual, not necessarily your organization as well. So start at the top first and then what Bill shared there, listening. We talk about that so much in this article series when we talk about empowering others. You have to first stop and listen to your organization. So I want to leave our audience with that, as well as a quote I picked up from one of the leaders, I believe that intern, who's now a full-time employee at Columbia, who shared with me that it's not about being a culture fit, but think about being a culture ad. And that's what we're inviting everyone to do this listening. Be that culture ad. Take the commitment to a culture of care. I'm Michelle Thompson from FMI. Thank you for listening. Yeah, well, thank you so much, Michelle, for leading that great conversation. Really, really appreciated hearing from Bill and Stephanie about how the commitment and taking the pledge served as the foundation for your programs. And it was interesting how you shared that the commitment in many ways formalized what you were already doing and provided a framework um, to deepen your support throughout your organizations. So if you're hungry for more insights into culture of care and the impact that it's having on the industry, you're in luck. Stay tuned for another episode later in the year where we continue our journey exploring other elements of culture of care, specifically recruit, retain, attract. Don't miss out on the stories that shape the future of the construction workforce. We also encourage you to check out the show notes for links to culture of care resources and also for links to the article series in Constructor Magazine that we've mentioned. This has been another episode of AGC Constructor Cast. Please subscribe to Constructor Cast from your podcast app or you can stream all available episodes right from your computer at www.agc.org slash constructor cast.